Good morning. This is Lance Kenmore with the Kenmore team, and I'd like to welcome you to this week's edition of the Tri-Cities Real Estate Update. As always, you can contact me, Lance Kenmore, anytime direct on my cell phone at 727-8977, or visit us on the web at kenmoreteam.com. Once again, I always like to thank John for hosting and everybody here at the station for working to make this happen. Mr. John McKay, how you doing over there? Doing good, but you know, I'm ready for spring because of our daughter's softball, but I hear that the S word might creep in tomorrow. Come on, stop it. No. Okay. Like I've, man, sales have been just incredible. Easy to show homes. We've been listing homes, selling them quickly. Yeah, but it would be a rain snow mix. Okay. Well, as long as overnight, as long as it goes away, then yeah, then I, then I'm good. I've, I've, greatly been enjoying um when january starts like this i always say it's like an early start to our spring market yeah so activity level has just been ticking way up so we're super super excited about that for sure well before we jump into our local topic um we always like to start off with our crazy celebrity real estate story mm-hmm and I tell you what, I don't think in all the years we've been doing this, we've ever had as much rage as we have had around Montana. Oh, um, you know, Yellowstone. I mean, yeah, Yellowstone, the pandemic getting away. So we reported on the show a couple of weeks ago that billionaire um, media tycoon Rupert Murdoch had bought a $200 million ranch out there in montana Mm -hmm. well now it's like it's on now right like all the billionaires are like you know maybe i think it's like the next big you know iconic here's what i have um i think they're all trying to collect their own montana ranch now Mm -hmm. well so a seller in bozeman said why not you can have mine for 40 million dollars um wow so it's not quite as big as rupert murdoch's but it's on a 23 acre parcel the main residence is 22,000 square feet. Wow. Okay, folks, that's not a house. That's a lodge. Yeah. That is a lodge for sure. Yeah. 4,000 bottle wine cellar. Um, you've got um, entertainment spaces, movie theaters, huge garages for, for all of those cars, an infinity edge pool. Wow. Um and I mean, the list just goes on and on. I will tell you, it is absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that it ought to be for forty million dollars. So we will see who um, the next big uh, tycoon celebrity media personality is. We'll see if they start buying Montana or property in eastern Montana yeah. because it's very different than western. Yes. Where did the trees go? Where did the trees go? Yes. Yeah, I, we'll I, see if how close they get to Great Falls. I think it is um, kind of similar to what we have going on in Washington here a little bit. Yeah. So, so yeah, it'll be very, very interesting to see kind of that effect, pandemic effect that has had on those things mm-hmm. and then um, but yeah, I thought it was hilarious. We don't, we have never had so many of our celebrity stories come out of Montana area. Yeah. Well, my wife grew up near Lincoln. Okay. So, so you've got the roots out there. You, you know, for sure. Yeah. Ted Kaczynski country. Oh boy. Yes. We will stay away from that one. <laughs> On a more serious real estate note, we um, always like to take a little quick look at the economics. Um, So this week we had confirmation, not unsurprised. We had reported about this earlier, 
but confirmed the Fed did tell us that they'll start raising rates on March 16th. Mm. So um, they did say that the rate hikes are designed to reduce inflation. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that does not hurt the labor markets, but the labor supply has been super tight. Yes. So that's unlikely to hit the labor markets. Um, it should be this reduction you know, of balance sheet that the Fed is going through. It should be, I mean, at this case, most experts are calling it the right move at this at this case. We don't know for sure, um, but there has been tons of inflationary pressure, and so we knew they would have to do something with the way the prices had been. Yes. Well, I got I got to tell you, there was no lack of um, subjects for this week's real estate show. I always like to take... What is going on in the local market? What are some of the things that people are saying? Mm-hmm. And then relate that to um, the radio show and what's going on. So it, it was really interesting. I saw I saw on Facebook earlier this week a local agent. Um, you know, it's very popular. Uh, a lot of um, Facebook, we will call it, how should I call it? Um, to produce interaction and get your name out there, a very popular strategy is to ask a question and yes. then get the um, get the public's feedback. I mean, you see this in all industries mm-hmm. y- out there, but there was a great one that was posted locally about how many transactions the public felt like um, a good real estate agent or a real estate agent did um, every month. And so it was really, really interesting. Some of the comments were absolutely hilarious. I mean, yeah, kudos to the comedians out there. Mm -hmm. But it was really, really interesting to go through and take a look at that. The national average that NAR reports is is roughly about 10 sides per year, um, which is not a lot. I mean, less than, you know, less than one a month. But Mm -hmm. you look at that, and so, you know, Averages are there for a reason. So, for instance, Tri-Cities has roughly 1,100, 1,130 or so active agents. Okay. Now, mind you, we report on this show all the time that listing inventory has been hovering around 400. Yes. So, 400 homes to potentially sell, 1,100 real estate agents. agents. So if you look at that, and even if there's, you know, there's two sides to every transaction. So if our listing inventory is at 400 and roughly 400 are going to sell, we've had about a one month supply for a long time, then that's 800 sides. Okay. Well, you're still leaving. That leaves a lot of agents with no transactions in that that situation. So, um, So there was a breakdown that said 226 of the agents had zero, zero sides of all last year. So wow. they paid their dues. They did that zero sides. So you might look, that could be somebody that's part-time in the business. Um, that could be somebody that took a break. Maybe they were active, but then they took a year off or they had some health issues. I mean, there's a lot of reasons that could be, but 226 ages of the market completely out. Now, 469, a huge chunk, had three or less sales. Wow. And then, and then you start to get into um, you start to get into kind of the meat and bones of it. 570, 573 agents, 51% had five or less transactions. Hmm. So 50% of the agents that you see out there had five or less transactions. 
Um, and so when you look at the averages, averages happen for, for a reason. Last week, we went into uh, you know a lot of data on the show about price appreciation in markets. We had reported just around 4,900 sales in the market. Mm-hmm. So that's just roughly you know 9,800 sides. Well, if you take the 9,800 sides and you divide, this is why averages are averages. They work out nationwide. Tri-Cities is really no different. If you take the 9,800 sides, you divide that by the 1,134 agents, and that gets you just, you know, just around that nine sides per agent mark. So yeah. the average holds true for the Tri-Cities. But when you dig into it, only 36% of the agents in the market had more than nine sales wow. in 2021. So the numbers start to thin out a little bit to who's doing the amount of business. And, you know, a lot of people in business talk about the old 80-20 rule that probably 20%, you know, of the agents do 80% of the business. Mm-hmm. So you start to look at that. And the, so I broke it down a little bit further. That's kind of where things started Things started to stop. Um, and it is a Facebook post. And so I realized you don't get into all the data and we have more time here. But then I started to break down those numbers a little bit just for fun and to kind of prove a point a little bit too for people that might have just perused past that. To get into the top 50, okay, the top 50, to be a top 50 agent in, in the Tri-Cities, which represents 4.5%, so the top 4.5% of the market, mm-hmm. you had to do 40 sides. Wow. Okay, so so you, you did have to be cranking well above the national average to be in the top 50, to be in the top 4.5%. Mm-hmm. Now, um, we operate a little bit different in our team atmosphere, and there's been years where we've done, you know, well, you know, well over 100, you know, hundreds and hundreds of transactions. There's a couple agents in town, a couple um, that do right around that 200 mark with a small team mm-hmm. um, and some admin staff. But it was really fun because I broke that down and we allow the agents on our team to record their own transactions in the MLS. So it's super fun. So of that top 50 from our team, just from our team alone, if we pull out their production from the team and let them stand alone individually, we had four of those top of those top 50 agents from our wow. from our from our company, which represents eight percent. So so of the four and a half percent, the best four and a half percent. We had eight percent of those agents in the market from That's our office, good. so that was that was like super fun. I'm very very proud of our superstars um, on the team. But when you look at that and you look at those numbers, really only the top four and a half percent are doing more than three deals a month. I mean, I mean that's just that's just wow. what it comes down to. So you have to look at what what is that giving you? You, you know, it's one thing to say, you know, yeah, I do a lot of transactions, but you have to look at the benefits of what is that type of volume giving somebody access to? Well, the very first thing to look at that is learning curve, mm-hmm. is the amount of information, the amount of experience that they have. That's a big, big part of it. So I just, for fun, I, I broke down some of our team positions. 
And so one of the big things in a transaction is negotiating inspection items. I mean, you've got to know service providers that can fix things. You've got to know what's a real problem versus what may be superficial or cosmetic. So there's a lot that goes into that. It's a huge part of the transaction. So one of the positions on our team is closing coordinator. And our closing coordinators are all licensed real estate agents in the in the in the MLS here, they have the same license that it, that an agent has. And so they handle our inspections and our negotiations. And in fact, on our closing agent team, generally, they will handle 150 negotiations a year. Wow. Uh, um, each, each one of our closing team members. So just for fun, I said, well, we just went over what the average was in the Tri-Cities. So if you had picked an average agent to represent you and mm -hmm. you go into inspection negotiations, um, your average agent, it would take them 16 years to get the same experience as that closing coordinator on our team that closed a, that did 150 wow. inspection negotiations last year. Now, the really fun thing that we run into <laughs> is when one of those agents calls and talks down to our closing coordinators Ooh. Um, because they're a closing coordinator per se and not, <laughs> and not an agent, not knowing that they probably have 10 times the amount of experience in that situation. So we have a good time with that on our team when we go, when we go through that. I'm being a little facetious there, McKay. Of course. As you can tell, we've had some things to talk about this week on the show. <laughs> <laughs> and so there was no lack of material for the show today. The cool part about that, though, and why I talk about this is because people are always looking for opportunities to springboard and get, and how can someone gain experience like that? And some of our closing coordinators in the past have gone on to be some of, you know, some of the top agents in the Tri-Cities and that are part of now that four and a half percent club when, mm -hmm. when you look at that. But here's the difference. If that closing coordinator stays in that position for two years, then negotiates three, 400 inspections in the course of that time frame, it would take the average agent now 32 years to know what they know or see what they have seen. Wow. And so people talk about, gosh, these differences and what it looks like. And so they ask me all the time, how do I get into the business? How how could I become an expert like that? Well, imagine if you had an agent that has seen that or been there or you want access to that type of experience. Um, imagine the type of agent you can be if you have 32 years of experience, but that early in your career. It's wow. really phenomenal. So I always, I always say when people come and they're looking for a place to go or a place to hang their license, um, I always say go to work for a superstar because you're going to see a volume of transaction that you've never seen before. Or you're likely not to because, like we talked about, the only the top 4.5% get that type of volume. So go to work for a superstar. Number two thing that I put down was get on a team that is doing a lot. Look at that transaction history, see mm -hmm. what they're doing, see what type of position there can be there. And then the third thing that I wrote down was start in an admin position. You know, I wouldn't give anybody the advice that I wouldn't give myself. And and so, for instance, that's that's exactly how I started as an as an assistant to to somebody. 
I didn't last very long in that position, but that's how I started. But that's why, because you get so much experience so quickly. Mm -hmm. My managing broker of my company, Alex Burden, same type of situation. I can go on and on with the list. So those are some of the key things. This time of year, a lot of people are calling us and interviewing for brokerages, and we would love to talk to people where they're looking to switch to a different position. So um, we like to create that type of environment so that you can get years and years of experience in a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. And then our clients can leverage that vault of experience. So it's very, very likely when it gets to that point. Um, I mean, I, I can't steal it because, you know, it's copyrighted, I'm sure. But there is an insurance commercial that says, they know a lot because they've seen a lot. Oh, that's uh, <laughs> and so I believe that's all. Isn't that all? I think so. I laugh every time I see that. I love it, and it just speaks volumes about mm-hmm. about the truth. So that is my take on on those numbers. So great, great post out there. Some of our amazing um, colleagues in the industry. I love seeing those questions and the com and the comments come out, and it gives us some good discussion. But just to give you some additional perspective, those were some of the numbers on what it takes to be working with somebody that's in that top 4% and, and, you're, and you're looking at that. Yes. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk about who is really working for you because it seems as the market is changing and there's pressures of commissions and there's different setups and new technologies that have come into the market. Sometimes people in the transaction don't realize who actually represents them. Wow. And we will be right back with that on News Talk. Welcome back to the Tri-Cities Real Estate Update. Today we've been um, going over some numbers. It's kind of that end of the year, you know, beginning of the new year, but all the end of the year numbers start to come in and Mm -hmm. we can look at uh, productivity, appreciation rates, what's been going on in the market. And um, still been in very, very active January. And uh, as long as, like we say, McKay, we're done with the S word and the white stuff stays off the ground. Mm. Um, So, you know, we're still not in the safety zone yet, but it is made for an extremely busy January. We've been able to put on some new inventory, and that's really kind of the name of the game right now. But we've got some great new listings. Here's one, just the Shunanana North Richland, always a very competitive market, 2357 Harris Avenue, Harris mm. Street itself, mm-hmm. always a lot of people looking up there. This is a beautifully updated, modern, 2,400 square foot, four bedroom, three bath home, gorgeous engineered hardwood flooring throughout. Great room has an awesome fireplace, perfect for gathering with family and friends. The kitchen has custom cabinetry, oversized quartz-topped island, dining bar, modern concrete counters. I mean, it just goes on and on. Lower level has a family room, extra storage, upper level master suite with private updated three-quarter bath. Um, vinyl windows, new carpet, new electrical panels. It goes on and on. If you're looking for that done North Richland property, that's coming in priced at 720,000. Gorgeous property. Pick number two, 1531 North 15th Avenue in Pasco. This is a four bedroom, two bath, central Pasco home, close to tons of amenities, schools, highway access, 
2310 square feet, original hardwood floors, two fireplaces, updated kitchen, large living room, formal dining room, big kitchen with new flooring, solid surface counters. Very well done at this price point, $320,000. Wow. So that's a fantastic opportunity. And then pick number three. 5602 West 20th Avenue in Kennewick. This is the Dakota floor plan by Tannen and Holmes in Creekstone. It was a 2009 build, three bed, two bath, 1,500 square feet, split bedroom design, um, fully fenced backyard, underground sprinklers, um, plus watered all the landscaped areas, extended patio, and that's coming in at $399.9. So... Bringing in some great yeah. listings and some great inventory, some of those under the average price point for the Tri-Cities. So very, very good to see there. Well, before the break, we were talking a little bit about some numbers and agents. And, you know, one thing great about doing the radio show is I prep for it during the week. I'm always taking little notes about subjects that come up, what's mm-hmm. in the marketplace, what are people talking about. And a great reminder came up, and this is where our industry in the real estate industry is really in flux right now and um, and trying to actually kind of trying to find their footing and figure out what this looks like. So for years, we've operated under the premise that basically when you go sign a listing agreement with a seller, you charge a seller a certain percentage, and that's a negotiated amount to sell a house. And then So let's just, for easy math, we'll call it, you know, we'll call it X percentage because for, you know, there's a bunch of antitrust laws that uh, all we can say is that's a negotiable amount. We can't say a customary amount. So you take that percentage and you charge that to the seller. And then as an agent, you take a certain amount of that and you offer it to the other agents in town. It could be half, it could be a third, it could be whatever it is. And so you say, look, um, I listed it for X amount, and now I'm going to do half of X. If you bring a buyer, you will earn half of that. Um, But you have, even though that is happening, you have legal obligations to your buyer, agency law that Washington state law governs that says that um, you have a duty to protect your buyer. Do not do no harm to your buyer. Keep mm-hmm. things confidential. Um, be honest in your dealings. And what happens in this situation is it sets up a lot of unknowns for consumers that don't do this all the time. And the the best analogy that I can use is it's a little bit like it's a little bit like an attorney relationship. Mm. Um, and so when, when you look at that, like let's say- Attorney-client privilege. Very, very, sim- very, very similar to that. It's a great analogy that we can use. And so what happens a lot of time is, is people you know, don't understand. And in a really hot market, there are some things in relationships that start to exist. So when you list a house for a seller and the seller says, Lance, I want you to- maximize my return. Um, Here's why I'm moving. Um, I don't really want you to share that with the public. I want you to keep that confidential of my reasons why I'm moving, but I want you to get this done and maximize the value. And so now when I'm hired in that situation, even though we're co-oping some of that commission, I have a legal obligation to, to do that for that seller. Now picture that we go we go along and we put the house on the market and it's a hot market and we get we get three offers. And there is a lot of people 
that feel um, that if they submit their offer first, they saw it first, they submit their offer first, that they are their offer should have priority. Or they should be <laughs> negotiated with first. McKay, you're laughing over there. But that is a very common feeling that someone might have in the market. Now, as um, as representing the seller and their best interest, even though your offer came in first, I know that in the next two hours or the next four hours, um, I can keep that um, the showings open on that property and get a couple more offers by the end of the day. So negotiating on your offer because it came in first actually could be detrimental to our seller in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we get three offers, um, instead of responding to the one that came in first or responding to the highest one of the three, there might be a better strategy out there. The seller might want to wait for another day and allow more showings and try to get eight offers. Or the seller might want to go back to those three and give them all 24 hours to bring their highest and best. So what happens in that situation a lot is um, is we are doing that. We are following the wishes of our seller. Um, but a buyer that might be working with another agent for another firm, and we talked about the number of transactions an average agent does before the break, that particular agent might not know the ins and outs of what's going on there, or they might be newer. And in that case, sometimes we might, we will get a client of another agent who we do not represent um, that feels like we are giving terrible customer service. They're like, I don't know who you guys are or what you're doing, but this is the worst thing I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Um, When in actuality for what's going on, on in the market, it might not be the worst at all. It's one of the reasons why I love the radio show because it gives me a forum to talk about these types of situations. In that situation, even if I thought, if I was the agent for the seller, and so so even if I thought that that was, that was the right thing to do, was negotiate with the first field, but the seller told me they didn't want to do that. Um, my thoughts in that matter are immaterial. As long as I'm not, you know, being dishonest, you know, violating some sort of other ethical issue in our industry, uh, my thoughts don't matter in that situation. I I am obligated to fulfill my seller's wishes in that situation, and so as agents, sometimes the hard part for us in the community is our seller has directed us to do things that we must comply with. And it is less a representation of our customer service because in that point, our customer is that seller. Mm -hmm. It is not the rest of the public. It is not those clients that are represented by a broker from another company. They have a customer relationship on that side, but that is not, that person is not our customer. At that point, you know, in that situation, they are part of a transaction where we're trying to maximize that return for the seller. So um, know who's know who is representing you in that transaction and know who is working for you in mm-hmm. that in that transaction. And then also make sure that you are comfortable with what you have chosen and what you are getting. The other thing that happens a lot of in our industry, um, and it's happening more and more in this market because there's a lot of stress out there in the market. It's contentious in those situations. And a lot of times that client will call me directly um, when I was not 
they were not my customer and mm -hmm. they will call me directly and they'll ask questions about the transaction or they'll ask questions about, hey, my agent's not giving me what I'm asking for. My agent did this. What do you, what do you think about that? What should my agent have done? <laughs> and those are conversations that in our industry, we are not ethically allowed to answer. We are not allowed to interfere with someone else's client relationship. Mm -hmm. And so when those conversations and those questions start coming, it can be very frustrating, but we have to. The third time last week that I had to say to somebody, I'm so sorry, but I can't answer your question. That has to be addressed with your agent. If you are in a relationship, client relationship with your agent or in an offer where another agent is representing you, those questions have to go to that agent and their broker mm -hmm. um, because we we are ethically prevented from commenting on that situation or giving our opinion about what happened there. So um, you're not going to find me answering those questions because it's a quick trip to our board to our board of realtors and they have a <laughs> what they call a grievances and ethics committee and they review these type of things. Now there's going to be plenty of people that do that, but those are not a conversation you're going to call my cell phone and have um, because that you know. I respect that relationship. You got to go back to your agent. And if there's an issue there, that gets dealt with your agent, not with third party interference from somebody else that doesn't mm -hmm. have that relationship. So yes. know, know who your agent is, know what's going on, address those concerns with within that relationship. There are a lot of choices out there and we are doing a ton of interviews right now for people that are interviewing for someone to do that for them. Because in this market, you know, I was joking around with somebody, but I'm, I was like, in this market, when you're competing against seven other offers, make no mistake about it, you and your agent are going to war. And so you want to make sure you're marching into that war um, with, with somebody that you're, that you're comfortable with. So we would love an opportunity in those situations to interview for the business um, when someone is making that decision. Yes. Um, and so that was those were the biggest questions that we were getting out of the market um, in the last in the last two weeks. And so because things are heating up out there, buyers know rates are going up. The Fed made that announcement, and so there's some urgency in the market right now when these new listings are hitting. We're getting people into those quickly. We're being very competitive and we're making those offers to, to win that war for, for our clients. If you have any questions about that, if you want to get on our watch list for some of these new properties that are, that are coming up, go to KenmoreTeam.com, shoot us a message. We would love to help out with that. We will keep the snow away yes. and the real estate moving quickly. <laughs> and even if it does come... Um, that's just better for our buyers because we tell our buyers, all the non-serious people stay home. We'll go out and sneak in a couple sales while everybody else is uh, sleeping or sledding. Yes. Uh, so go to KenmoreTeam.com and we'll be right back here next week. Right here on News Talk 870.